0: if you think about it and you think of all the manufacturers from you know smart washing machines to uh ping pong sticks what's a ping pong stick oh I meant I meant pogo stick I was, I was, oh, I was, I was basically being polite for vibrator <laughs> I think When <laughs> <laughs> I said ping pong and I oh. thought I was
1: going to be too rude for this show Smashing Security,
2: episode 290, Uber, Rockstar, and Crystal Balls, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 290. My name's Graham Cluley, And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, this week on the show, we've got someone who's returning to us after a five-year absence. Shut up. That long? He's... (laughs) He's... (laughs) He's upgraded his internet connectivity. He's on fibre... It's Ian Thompson from The Register. Hello, Ian. Hello, Graham. Hello, Carol.
0: Hi.
1: Pleasure to be back.
2: It's been a while. Um, Yes, yes,
1: lovely to chat.
0: Well, thank you for joining us so early in the morning from your part of the world.
1: Ah, well, the sun is shining, the sky is clear. We actually had rain yesterday, which was fantastic. We haven't had that in months. I As a Brit, you really miss some things, and rain is one of them.
0: And where are you, (sighs) just for our listeners, just... uh...
1: Oh, I'm uh, in the East Bay, just across the water from San Francisco. Um, nice. I've got to say, it's pretty good.
0: It's an interesting place to live. Let's first thank this week's sponsors, Bitwarden, Collide and Pantera. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? <coughs>
2: Zoom, just one look <laughs> and your privacy went
0: Boom. You've missed your calling. Uh, What about you, Ian?
2: (laughs) I I
1: just can't follow that. That, that, That's amazing. Good. Um, Well, I mean, for me, it's the Uber Rockstar hacks. It's an amazing issue to go into. And there are some very, very weird things about this.
0: Ooh, I'm excited. And with me, we will be gazing into the crystal ball cybersecurity style. Plus, we have a featured interview with cybersecurity kingpin from the University of Tulsa, Sal Orojima. And Sal will explain why password managers like that of our sponsor, Bitwarden are so valuable. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security.
2: Now, chums, chums, we have emerged now, blinking from our self-imposed isolation during the pandemic, and we've ditched our caftans, we've hung those up, we've hitched <laughs> up our trousers, we've tried to put our belt on if it still fits. We've deodorized ourselves because now we are interacting with our humans. For months and months, we had been able to fool our colleagues, hadn't we, into believing we were fragrant smelling. Uh, All the time, we weren't even wearing underpants because they never saw us.
0: We were wearing suitsies, weren't we? Is that
2: what they call them, suitsies? (laughs) It's
0: it's like a onesie, like a baby onesie, but it actually Ah. has the finish of a suit. So you can actually just cuddle into it and look professional at the same time.
1: Oh, my word. No, I actually wore a kilt at one meeting, but yes. (laughs) How did you prove that, uh, Ian? (laughs) When the lockdown first started, we figured it was going to be, what, two, three months? Um, And the very first video conferencing meeting that we had, uh, I was just out of bed, wearing a sweatshirt, my hair was all a mess, (laughs) and comments were made. Um, So the day after, I got dressed up in full kilt and fig, um and held the meeting <laughs> that way. And the response was really good. Because I mean, the essence of working as journalists is that you've got the news meeting, you know, everyone's yeah. you know, knocking ideas off each other. And that was mm. a real dislocation. So I figured, you know, keep the spirits up and ended up doing like 30, about 30, 35 different costumes at the start.
0: Yes. Ian, you've got to send us some of these pictures. Oh, no need. No need, Crow, because
2: I remembered following Ian on Twitter at the time and uh, I found a picture of you dressed as Ian Exotic, which was your homage to the Tiger King. Yes, Including
1: Monica (laughs) had some leopard skin stuff lying around. And uh, that whole weird cat people documentary was, was raging at the time. So I figured, why not?
0: Wow. Yep. I love it, Ian. So, links in
2: the show notes if you want to go and check out Ian dressed up as uh, Joe Exotic. <laughs> but uh, I never went that far. I, I might have occasionally donned a pair of glasses to appear more intelligent, even though I can't actually read my computer screen if I'm wearing glasses. But we're all of an age, I suspect. You know, we've been we've been round the block a few times, mm-hmm. haven't we? Be
3: careful,
2: bro.
0: Right? Be careful, granddad. Just
2: you know. I mean, I, uh, Ian, do you ever wear glasses these days? I've I've
1: started wearing them in the last couple of years. I think, yeah. to be honest, yeah. having spent you know spending this amount of time on a laptop and monitor screen, it's right. going to happen. So you know, and you know. Yep. There's no shame in it. It's just um, I am looking into LASIK, but at the same time, I, this very idea of someone cutting into your eyes or lasering them out is is oh such an anathema. I'll live with the glasses, thanks.
2: <laughs> Carol, mm. do you, do you have to wear glasses for the computer screen? No, no, oh.
0: I've had glasses since I was, like, you know, yeah, a teenager. But not for the computer. But they were for a distance, yeah. I don't have uh, nearsightedness well, you know issues yet because I am younger than you. Well,
2: Mr. <laughs> slightly. But you know what, Crow? that might have been a very sensible decision not to wear glasses at the computer screen because there lies a danger.
0: Tell me everything. Which
2: boffins at the University of Michigan, who've teamed up with their counterparts at the Zhejiang University in China, they have been exploring the security risks associated with wearing glasses at a computer okay and specifically they have found that you could be unintentionally leaking information through the re- <laughs> no, i know it sounds weird but he's spot on this is absolutely true yep through the reflection <laughs> on your glasses when you're on a zoom call or google meet session or something like that it's
0: so <laughs> so okay okay my right. mind has just yep. gone somewhere very okay yeah. So, so for example, if you had maybe something not safe for work in the corner of your screen, your boss would be able to see it through your glasses. Yes, near P- pot- vision <laughs> potentially. Right. Or if,
2: if if the thing you were looking at on the screen was moving in a particular way, that may indicate what sort of action you were watching. And uh, there's all <laughs> oh sorts <my> of. <laughs> all sorts of posi- it's so- a
0: pogo stick <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes tell it to the judge
3: you
1: know I mean? they're just playing leapfrog yeah, exactly <laughs> But i mean this is serious because they found that even a standard you know 720p camera you can get yes you know tech font sizes at about 50 60 pixels now if you're yep. looking at 4k camera then you could potentially get down to the kind of font sizes
2: used in documents not just in headings but you know in the actual text itself this is the thing so there's this paper that's been released it's called private eye on the limits of textual screen peeking via eyeglasses reflection in video conferencing that's the name of the paper Mm-hmm. And, yeah, as Ian says, around about 75% accuracy on reading some screen text. Now, I have to say some screen text. First, okay, some caveats. Some, a few caveats. Yeah, I'd like to hear the caveats, yeah. Right, okay. So the technique varies in effectiveness depending on the curvature of your lens. So if you have prescription glasses, that apparently works better than if you have those you know, there's blue light blocking glasses. Yeah. Some people like to use, you know, where if it's late at night or something to help them go to sleep. So those don't work so well. And the mm-hmm. other thing, as Ian says, is the quality of the webcam as well. So they reckon they can read on-screen text that have heights as small as ten millimeters with a seven twenty p webcam. Now that's ten, 10 millimeters mil- is
0: one centimeter.
2: Ah, yeah, but that uh, and that is on the reflection. That's not on the screen. So okay. what they've done. <laughs> So what they've done... We hear the science here. Yeah. <laughs> what they've done is it, it tends to work... On quite big text now. I've put a link in <laughs> okay. the show notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh god. I've put a link in the show notes, where, so, which goes to a Twitch page where you'll get an idea of the size of text which they can pick up. All right.
0: Okay. All of you looking at fonts at 48p and above, <laughs> you guys with glasses, you guys are the ones in trouble.
1: I mean, I mean, we mock, but at the same time, technology advances. You know, stuff that we was was yes. theoretical. You know, breaking hashing functions that was, the- you know, considered
2: theoretical at the time. Now we can do it with these. Yeah. Ease. yeah. Mm. So, Carol, you click through on that Twitch link which I've put in the in the notes, oh, there, yeah, just to I see. see. It. Now, can you, by any chance, make out with your squinty little eyes? Can you see what they're saying on that web page? Where can it you says see-
0: Twitch is where millions of people come together. That one? Uh,
2: no, no, no. Above that. Above that. <laughs>
0: Oh, we save you. We saved you a seat in chat.
2: Can you just about see that text? Just because I was
0: right, it is about forty-eight to fifty-six point font. It's huge. It's It's absolutely huge. I've never
2: seen a web page with such large fonts as this one. I've never even seen a a
0: presentation given
2: by a PowerPoint with this sized font. But, but as Ian says. If you had a 4K high-definition webcam, which more and more people are beginning to do because they want to look their best when they're doing their video conferencing, then the potential does begin to creep in. And this technological advance, I mean, this isn't the first time that we've seen reflections leaking information. Back in Mm. 2019, I wrote about an obsessed fan of a J-pop pop pop star. And what he did was he assorted her after he worked out where she lived by zooming mm. in on reflections. I remember that case. That was creepy as all hell. Yeah. He, re- he zoomed in the reflections of her eyeballs in selfies she'd posted on social media. And obviously she'd used a good camera to look good or a, yeah. a, a fancy smartphone. And from that, he was able to work out where she lived.
0: Jesus then- Christ, you cannot win. You cannot win. <laughs> you use your eyeballs. They're using your eyeball reflections. You, you wear sunglasses with mirrors while well, you're screwed there, too. You have glass with reflections.
2: Well, it turns out you can win. It turns out you can win because there is a mitigation. There is a mitigation, right? Okay. Although these boffins have worked out, well, they can read some text, and at the moment it has to be quite big text, but that may change in the future. Although they are able to identify, they reckon, 94%, with 94% accuracy, Mm -hmm. the top 100 websites you may have open on your computer, what they cannot cope with is a feature which is available in Zoom but isn't available in Skype and Google Meet. You know, there's a where you can blur out your background. Indeed, Mm -hmm. yes. Add funny effects. It's like a filter. Very, very useful. Yes. Well, it turns out it does have a use because there is a feature to add cartoon glasses to yourself, which are opaque, like cartoon
1: sunglasses.
0: Oh my! And that
1: you see, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Isn't that going to turn people off? Because you know, if there's one thing about video conferencing, (laughs) it's eye contact. And you know, it's very important.
0: So That's true. What if we yeah. wore those glasses with the fake eyes on them, little pieces of cardboard we used to get? You know, and oh, it had yes. little pinholes in the middle. So you could you wouldn't be yeah. able to, you know, they wouldn't be able to read your face. You would look natural. You'd you look, look, completely natural. Yes. You look, you look completely normal. Yes. You'd look completely normal.
2: Well, the Buffins reckon that in time, maybe the video conferencing manufacturers will do some sort of artificial intelligence, work out where your eyes are, your glasses are, and apply a Gaussian filter to blur out that area. But I can understand if a if a politician were using these services, you might want to do that. But do, do the rest of us have to really worry about this? It depends how know. much pogo-sticking you want.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's your excuse and you're sticking to it, isn't it? <laughs> Ian, what have you got for us this week? Okay. Um well, it's a double header really. Last week Uber <laughs> suffered yet another data breach and I was talking to an ex Uber security person and they were just saying we warned them about this in 2017, we warned them about this in 2020 uh-huh. and no, you know, basically apparently and I can't confirm this, but the person who was responsible for dealing with the earlier uh, big breach is now the global head of PR and um, <laughs>
0: That's a lateral move.
1: Oh, no. But in terms of sort of the communications of the last data breach, is now the global head of PR for the company. And the tactics uh. haven't changed. It's basically say nothing to other than, you know, we've had a bit of a problem. Everything's
2: fine. Wall Street calmed down. And really
0: tight smiles. Yeah.
2: I have seen on LinkedIn that they are currently looking for a large number of people to join their security department. Yeah, they, it's, so, it's, <coughs> um, I mean, it, it's it's the classic horse stable
1: gate situation. And to be honest, with those job adverts, I think it's more down to the insurance company is insisting that they hire more people rather than mm. they've suddenly found, a, you've got a newfound interest in security. Um, but yeah, they're just... I mean, there there was that, and then yesterday we had Rockstar and Grand Theft Auto and somebody Grand Thefted them. Um, And it's apparently Mm -hmm. the same person. Now, we all know online persona can be entirely made up from whole cloth, but... Um, the fact that both Uber and Rockstar are saying it's the same person is really rather interesting, yeah, in terms of the actual data itself, there doesn't appear to have been any ransom demand, or at least they haven't mentioned any ransom demand in neither of the companies. Hmm. So is this just somebody pranking around or I mean, if I was at the SEC, I'd be looking into who's got you know share trading options on both of these companies um i had a quick i had a quick look at the stock price they've only dropped a couple of dollars cuz wall street's used to this um but yeah the um the motivation is weird
2: so maybe the hackers haven't thought of a way to actually Monetize it. Maybe they can't They can't think, well, who would we sell this data to? But isn't it fun? It's a bit like the old lulsec days, isn't it, of doing it for the laughs yes. and embarrassing the big corporation, which might suggest it is kids or people, at least, who have an immature attitude rather than a more uh, entrepreneurial streak uh, in them.
0: Just because they don't ask for cash?
2: Well, at the very least, you'd, you'd, you'd think normally a criminal hack like this, they would attempt to extort some money, but maybe they're more... Maybe
0: wired- they're in the beta phase.
2: Well, I
1: mean, if maybe they're, maybe they're just trying it out. But I've got to say, that's two oh. very high-profile targets and a lot of heat to bring oh. down on the back of your neck. And, um, you know, if you're just doing this for the lulls, then it's
2: going to be a very short career path. I mean… So do we know that uh, they were hacked in a similar fashion? Because as I read it, Uber, one of the methods which was used was a sort of barrage of push… Two uh, FA notifications go into maybe someone, uh, one of their employees, who eventually uh, an got an external fed up with contractor. Them. In fact, yes, Oh, um, was it
1: right? Yeah. So basically, they got into the contractor's account and then used that to to get get past two factor and get into the network and look around that way. Yeah, that's at least what Uber is saying at the time. So, I mean, there was that, and there's a strong element of social engineering in all of these attacks. Right. Um, I mean. <laughs> We remember Kevin Mitnick, and one of the strongest things in his arsenal was social engineering, and it appears this has been done in the same way. But at the moment, you know what these companies are like. They're not going to tell anything because they're
2: under liability, you know, actual liability at the moment. But, Um, But what we do know is there's a lot of information which, I mean, certainly the Uber database, I think, was being offered for sale on underground forums, although I don't know if anyone's going to buy it or not. But the Grand Theft Auto thing, that's interesting because it appears that maybe code and video source or, code I mean yeah. that's like yeah that's a that's a game a video game which hasn't come out yet isn't it but it's obviously mm-hmm. going to be a big deal when it eventually does come out uh, and it seems to have been leaked online and so all the gaming mags are now talking about it
1: Yes, I mean the. It's one of those franchises. It's sort of, Mm. it it was a fantastic game just before the internet, and then it's really glommed onto the internet and become this huge thing. So there's a mass amount of interest, which again brings me back to why are they not trying to monetize this? Is this really kids? Um, It's Mm -hmm. with the Uber thing. The the most worrying thing for me out of that. I mean, yeah, everyone's going to get hacked. Don't worry about it. But apparently it was one point one petabytes of data that they got uh, held off. Now, how wow. the hell do you get that amount of data <laughs> out of an in- out of an organization without them noticing? You know?
0: Yeah, it's kind of scary. Yeah,
1: you can't call up IT and say, Oi, Bob, yeah. Um, I'm just doing a quick backup. So <laughs> then this network channel is gonna be needed for the next, you know, couple of days. It's yeah. just
2: insane. That is extraordinary, isn't
0: it? So customers of uber right people like the millions and millions of people who have the apps on their phone and have they've shared their billing information are they at risk in any way
1: it doesn't appear so at this stage and i was feeling kind of smug because i have never and will never use uber but um yeah uh, the customer information appears to be okay so they're saying well what they said in the initial statement was location data Uh, hadn't been Mm. lost payment Mm. information at this stage doesn't appear to have been lost but with that amount of data there's going to be an awful lot of leakage if somebody has the time patience and you know (laughs) desperation to actually go through and and
2: hard drive space as well of course Uh, where where are they going to store the information that's (laughs) the other challenge Crow, what have you got for us this week?
0: Uh, Well, uh, gentlemen, it is Cybersecurity Month uh, in October, so it's almost upon Mm. us. And since 2004, the President of the United States and Congress have declared October to be this month, helping individuals protect themselves online as, you know, threats to technology and all this become more commonplace. And, you know, we are always talking on this show about threats that are happening right now. Like the Uber hack, for example, we talk about crypto scams and ransomware and massive Mm -hmm. data leaks. So I thought I would have a snoop around to see if anyone has recently posted a kind of crystal ball article to warn us (laughs) what's around the corner. And lo and behold, I found one written by Danny Palmer at ZDNet. So I wanted to see if you two, actually, we could start a game. What do you think is on the list? I've got four items on this list
2: what these are these are sort of new threats or things which are going to become a big deal
0: yeah technologies that we're looking at that could be used for bad purposes and we can see angles as to why that might be
2: So would things like deepfakes, would that be a new thing?
1: Yes, let's start there. I think that's your starter for 10, to be quite frank. (laughs) Let's
0: start with deepfakes. It's on the list. Okay. so, of course, we've already seen these in use. Um, We've seen them used in political misinformation campaigns and pranks to fool politicians and fraud attacks, with cybercriminals using deepfake audio and even video to convince employees to authorise significant financial transfers to the accounts owned by the attackers. And they're getting more difficult to spot all the time. Like today, if you, one of you had a boss and you got a call from the boss and you rec- in their actual voice telling you to do something, would you do it? And the answer is probably yes.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I, okay. The Regis is, is highly it's a highly security conference, and we've got a great IT manager. When I ju- just after I joined, I left my laptop. Uh, somewhere at the RSA conference, ironically enough. That's um, <laughs> nice one. Out, exactly. Seriously, a month a month into the job, I was freaking out. Big stuff. Um Anyway, so I call. I basically sent an email to our IT manager saying, "I've lost my laptop. locked down all my accounts. The rest of it." Got an email back. Not a problem. Done. However, I would then went back, found the laptop. I'd left it at the EFF stand of all places. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were just like we were expecting you here you go <laughs> it was, oh, wow got in contact with the it manager and he was just like look it's i can't reactivate you because i've only met you right. once i don't know the sound of your voice you're going to need to go into the office ah. and speak to you know speak to our then editor rick and he's going to have to call me because i know who he is it's that level of security and it seems he's like you know Companies aren't taking this
0: seriously. He's one in a million, though. That's rare. Oh, Oh, yeah. Seems
1: very good. Yeah. He was, yeah. uh, Marco, perfect example of a security manager. You know, hates people. Just sits in his apartment in in in, 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 in Italy and manages the RIT network to a, like a
0: dream. Wow, yes. that is well. High high five to Marco. <laughs> but we can see that deep fakes are probably likely to become a a, a big problem, especially yeah. in misinformation. Yes. Right for politicians. Huge. Yeah, it's really scary.
1: Particularly with you know we're, we're heading up to an election here in the U.S. and the midterms are going to be very interesting. And this kind of stuff. Yeah, Terry Pratchett had the wonderful phrase, you know, a lie can go around the world three times before the truth's got its boots on. You know? I mean yeah. it's like these things are becoming more and more mm. convincing. and uh, mm. it's not just business email compromise, it's political campaigning.
0: Yeah.
2: Manipulated media. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So we try for another one. What else is on the list? We've had deep fakes. I, I
2: said I said deep fakes, Ian, so it's your go.
0: Yes, okay. One point to you, Graham.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: Um I was going to say, so I don't know. I think business email compromise should, be, if it isn't on the list, it damn well should be.
0: What's well, more, technology. Oh, I, I would
1: say, ah, in that case, I would say biometrics.
0: Interesting, not on the list. Really? So, sorry, grief.
1: we've been able to recreate fingerprints for you know a fair f- plastic
2: fingers from fingerprints for years now.
0: How that yeah, mean? that's true. That's a very. Come on, Danny. Why didn't you mention this in your article? <laughs> well, I'll give you guys one for free. Another one. So, uh, another obviously one is IoT, right? Oh, and it's okay, more about yeah. the networking of IoT as well. So, you know, we, we have this massive race to connect all our devices of, you know, our homes, our workplace networks. And this increased level of networking also creates a larger attack surface for criminals to exploit.
1: Mm-hmm. And a huge botnet potential as well in terms of, you know, you don't have to take over anyone's computer, you just take over their so-called smart device.
0: If you think about it and you think of all the manufacturers from, you know, smart washing machines to uh, ping pong sticks, you know, they get smarter at including more robust security features into their devices, but there's millions and millions of IoT devices out there that lack security. What's a ping pong stick? Oh, I meant, I meant pogo stick. I was, I <laughs> oh, was, I was, I was basically being polite for vibrator. <laughs> I think... <laughs> <laughs> but I said ping pong. And I oh. thought I was
2: going to be too rude for this show, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Corolla's trumped us. Um, okay, excellent. Okay, so do you need a third one? I've got, I've got a possible one. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the whole clusterfuck, which is NFT, cryptocurrency, oh, blockchain God. bollocks. Mm. Oh, that sort of no no well, that's not there yes
0: it is but in a different right. way it's under okay, quantum computing
2: oh, oh. yes qu- oh, quantum compute yes yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. potential threat yeah i understand that we
0: take a few minutes just to explain it because it is fairly new technology but it okay. seems like right at the cusp of quantum computing right so bob Suter, and check out this guy's job title chief quantum exponent at ibm oh, for
1: God's sake. <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm Sorry, the minute you hear a title (laughs) like that, you just think, wanker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he says, quote, quantum computing is our way of emulating nature to solve extraordinarily difficult problems and to make them tractable. So so basically quantum computers come in various shapes and forms, but they're all built on the same principle that they host a quantum processor where quantum particles can be isolated for engineers to manipulate. And what makes this super sexy for people is that quantum particles can hold immense potential for processing super large amounts of information. And we're like talking like, in a few minutes, answering the problems to today's most powerful supercomputers can't do in a thousand years, ranging from modelling hurricanes all the way to cracking the cryptography keys protecting the most sensitive government secrets. Yes, which would be bad. Which would and be bad. Because
2: obviously we are all well vested in current encryption and cryptography and we, we don't want people being able to unlock that. However, how successful have we been so far in build and quantum computers have
0: we have we have we really made any progress on that we have made a lot of progress on it but it is still extremely expensive and there's still a lot of expertise required to develop you know it's restricted to basically large tech companies research institutions governments
2: Because if no one's done it yet, if no one's actually cracked the encryption of all these things that we rely upon yet, then I could have suggested as, oh, I'll tell you a threat in the future, Croll, and that is magic. I'm going to invent a device which can just do magical things which break security. I'm not saying that they won't be able to do this, but... Until we actually see someone do it, I mean,
1: I mean, maybe I'm 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 not being quite empathetic enough, but I'm I'm guessing you're a sceptic on this, Graham. And- <laughs> well, no, just- he's mo- he's, he
0: mostly moans these days. So.
1: <laughs> well, his private life is his own concern, but I mean, no, I mean,
0: it's, no,
1: I mean, at the at, at the end of the day. I, I am a quantum skeptic to the extent that I've been barraged with press releases about this for the last five years. Yes. And we're always a few years away. It's like fusion, but on a shorter time scale.
0: <laughs> but if someone could get access to a quantum system, right? Okay, this is an if this is a big if and say then decide to plant crypto mining malware on one of these machines, they could get very, very rich very, very quickly at, at almost no cost to themselves. That's one of the arguments made in the article. Well, if oh, yeah, of course, yeah. if
2: sure, you know. if if these things existed, if I had a magical ping pong stick, I could you know <laughs> go around the world <laughs> or something. I mean, it's well, I mean, what? I just want to see it. I just want to see it. You know, I mean, it's it's
1: it's one of those things which I honestly think will come, but isn't even close to being hmm. there. I think the real power from a security perspective with quantum computing is in point-to-point communications that are absolutely secure because if anybody tries to get into those it immediately changes the flow of data and it's instantly noticeable so that Mm. kind of thing i can i can get behind but all this quantum computing is going to break all the encryption algorithms show me the money and the fact is okay you know it's like and the people who honestly it'll happen and it'll happen a couple of years before anyone knows about it because yeah. <laughs> the NSA, the Chinese, the Russians, the British. Yeah, they're not going to be advertising no, that. No,
2: exactly. They'll be able to break into your computer to stop you from reporting about it, Ian. That's the thing.
1: <laughs> well, I did go, I, I've, Google reminded me of a photo from a few years back when we did work in the office. I'd gone away on holiday. Uh, left my laptop in the office, my work laptop in the office, locked down, came back and somebody had written NSA was here underneath the laptop. So when I moved
2: (laughs) it, it was just...
0: Hey, actually, sorry, I'm changing the subject slightly here. But Ian, you are right, actually. My last point does include business email compromise. So Ah. well done. Um, And Ah. that's under the heading of machine learning and, of course, the infamous AI. So we talk a lot about that stuff. So we're not going to go into any background. But the idea is that once AI becomes more widely... Available, what would cyber criminals perhaps want to make use of it for? Yeah. And Miko mm-hmm. Hipponin. Hip, hip, no, oh,
1: hip, hip, hip. Miko. Be a, absolute badass Finn. He's a marvelous bloke.
0: Isn't he? Yeah. So he was quoted as saying Miko hip replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch.
3: Kitty he claws. says we'll be.
0: We're, we will start seeing <laughs> malware campaigns, ransomware operations, and phishing campaigns being run totally automated by machine learning frameworks. So, like, yeah. think about what about a text-based generation algorithm to send out and reply to common spam emails or BECs, business email compromise campaigns?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's going to be a huge issue. And I think we're also missing – on the personal side of it, I think a lot of people are going to be targeted – if you, you've got a lot of video online – the uh, it's like the sextortion campaigns all mm-hmm. over again. It, if it would be relatively – if somebody, you know, with a generation that's now putting their entire lives online, that data could be used to build a deep fake and then blackmail that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly if they're, you know, a high-earning Instagram influencer or whatever the job title is these days for being a, a public
0: person. <laughs> it's- mm-hmm. Well, the good news is the U.S. government is spending billions and billions on cyber – there are all these bills in to provide more funding for it, and according to Hacker News, collectively the current bills that are making their way through the House um, allocate a staggering fifteen point six billion to cybersecurity spending. <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm. A, There's a
0: few winners here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Ah, uh, well, the the big winners of the security industry, the big losers are going to be the actual end users because I honestly don't think this is going to do a thing. I mean, we saw Mudge's testimony about Twitter uh, in Congress last week, mm. and basically, the most telling thing for me that for the from that was that companies, yeah, they talk the security game. But for them, you know, if the SEC comes calling or the FTC, it's a cost of business issue if they, if they suffer security failing. One of the things he said was they were terrified of French regulators because they followed up. But with American regulators, no teeth, nothing. So I think this is a huge government boondoggle to the security industry and the tech industry in general. But I can't see it improving things until regulators get some teeth.
0: Yeah, but I think it does mean that there's going to be a lot of hiring out there. And any company, obviously, already authorized to sell services and products to the government are going to have, are in for an excellent 2023 and 4, I'm guessing. Well,
1: kind of. Uh, There was an executive order and a follow-up piece by the US government saying, if you're selling to a federal agency, you need to give us an assurance that all this, you know, your software is patched. If there is a problem, You know, you have a remediation strategy in place. And if you're using open source software, it has been independently checked by a third party to make sure it's secure. So they are spending the money. They are being a little smarter in how they spend it. Mm. You know, you've got to insist on a certain level of security. But at the end of the day, until companies are forced by regulation to actually sort the stuff out, then it's just going to be window dressing.
0: I agree and anything that helps us navigate this new quantum y IoT riddle deep fake rich world <laughs> that we're screaming towards is good for me. <laughs> I mean a quick question do either of you have
1: smart so-called smart devices in your home?
2: I do now. I do. Yes. Yes. Really?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: You gave in. Do you have oh, any? God no. Nothing like that. You know, it's um, good man. nothing. No. Well, it's, um
0: Yeah, I have one. Mm. I can think of actually.
1: I mean, it's always. I mean, I even have voice voice activation on my on my phone turned off. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So do I. Every time you said okay, and the phone lit up, and it's just like, oh, for God's sake, stop listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he uses an Android, everybody. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Show sponsor Pantera is taking a whole new approach to penetration testing, allowing every organization to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers including against ransomware and leveraging leaked credentials by emulating real-world attacks at scale all day, every day. This approach helps security teams across the globe to cope with one of today's top security challenges, the growing digital footprint of the enterprise. To help out, Pentera's security experts are sharing with us a few tips on how to identify your exploitable attack surface. So here is tip number one. Pentera recommends always taking the adversarial perspective. The best way to find exploitable vulnerabilities is to, well, exploit them. From here security teams can hand over remediation requests to IT that are based on true business impact. Find out more by going to smashingsecurity.com/pentera. That's smashingsecurity.com/p e n t e r
0: a. And thanks to Pentera for sponsoring the show. Smashing security listeners, did you know that Bitwarden is the only open source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, on the go, or at work? Bitwarden's password manager securely stores credentials spanning across personal and business worlds. And every Bitwarden account begins with the creation of a personal vault, which allows you to store all your personal credentials. These are unique and secure passwords for every single account you access. And it's easy to set up, it's easy to use. I honestly love Bitwarden. I use it at home, use it at work, use it on the go. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. Or you can even try it for free across devices as an individual user. Check it out at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring the show. Collide sends employees important, timely
2: and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organisations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. So instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Sign up today by visiting smashinsecuritycom slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com K-O-L-I-D-E. Enter your email when prompted and you will receive a free Collide goodie bag after your trial activates. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free, no credit card required. Try it out at smashingsecurity.com slash collide. That's smashingsecurity.com slash K O L I D E. And thanks to Collide for supporting the show. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show? The part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week.
0: Pick of the Week.
2: Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses saying like it could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. Better not be. Well, mine is not security-related this week. Not really. I was sat down. My, my son was... Uh, he said, "Oh, I want to watch some TV." And I said, "Okay, what do you want to watch?" He said, "Oh, I, w- I want to watch the new uh, Lord of the Rings show on Amazon." And I said, "All right, yeah, okay, I'm sure that's fine." And so he starts watching this Lord of the Rings. Oh my god! Have you ever have, have you watched it? Mm-mm. No, absolutely oh, not. Blimey. It's that bad. Oh, it's so bad. I think it's the most. <laughs> I think it's the most expensive TV show ever made. But you'd have thought they could have afforded someone to actually write a script. It is so. It's the most <laughs> tedious, boring thing imaginable. Anyway, after about three and a half episodes, and I noticed he was. You mean beginning to, you know, eat the carpet just out of <laughs> boredom. I said...
0: Oh, he, he found it boring as well. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, he found it boring. He was going, oh, it's so boring. And I said, look, look, why, well, why don't you stop watching it if it's boring and find something else you'd rather watch?
0: Oh, was it hard being
2: around someone who was moaning? Cheeky. And what <laughs> we did was we came across a show, a, a film, a movie, I believe they're called, on Netflix called The Mitchells vs. The Machines which is much, Ooh. much better than the new Lord of the Rings TV show. Okay. And the Mitchells versus the Machines is um, one of these animated comedy movie things for all of the family. It's just standard robot apocalypse, um, putting the brakes on a family.
1: Standard robot apocalypse. Yes. Fun for all the family. <laughs> yes. yeah. Well,
2: the, the family in this case, the Mitchells, they're on a cross-country road trip, and uh, the robot apocalypse gets in their way and tries to ruin it for them. And it's actually pretty funny, and I enjoyed it greatly. Uh, it features a generation cap between a dad who's useless with technology and hates screens, and his daughter, who of course loves them. And there's a pug dog as well. We all like pug dogs. Mm, some some people do. This one is quite adorable, to be fair, Ian. I think you have to see the movie first. There's an Elon Musk, oh, okay. Steve Jobs-like character at the heart of it all. Um and the robots obviously take over. Anyway, It's Great Fun has a lovely message behind it. It was very funny and I think most people haven't heard of it. So I would recommend Oh, it also has the Furbies. Remember Furbies from the Oh, oh yes. Good
1: yes. <laughs> they were a security they were a security risk mm-hmm. at one point. You remember? They were banned. <laughs> <laughs> A stupid security risk, but even so, I mean, if Snowden can get data out of the NSA with a Rubik's Cube, then a Furby is the
2: least of your problems. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I would recommend to people of all ages, if there's a child inside you, if you're a child at heart, this, you may enjoy this. My son certainly enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. The Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix is my pick of the week. Cool. Uh, da, I'll check marvellous. it out.
1: Marvellous. Ian, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is, okay, tangentially security-related, but at the same time, I'm a huge space geek, ah. and this is a really, really exciting story.
0: Okay, okay, we'll allow it.
1: <laughs> um, NASA is about to smash a, sma- a spacecraft into an asteroid in the next, in six days' time. The Ooh. DART mission. Um, basically, it's a test to see whether we could deflect a, a planet-killer asteroid uh, that we knew was approaching the Earth. So they've sent out the spacecraft, the DART spacecraft, yeah, and um, they're going to. It's got carrying a cubesat uh, on its back. So the spacecraft will accelerate towards this asteroid, which is a really weird system. It's a big asteroid. If it hit Earth, we'd have a major problem. But it's orbited by a very small moon. Oh yeah, uh, about you know five hundred feet across, which is another asteroid which has glommed around it and is now orbiting it. Okay. so NASA's plan is fire the spacecraft into this small moon, leave a CubeSat behind to record what happens and see if you can deflect an asteroid and how much power and how much speed you would need to nudge it. What could
2: possibly go wrong here?
1: What? (laughs) No? Are we all right? Oh, no, no. I have spoken to someone on NASA. They are hypersensitive about this because in PR disaster terms, that's the killer. It's just like, yeah, we did this thing and now you're all going to die. (laughs) No, no, they're very careful about it. But it's crucial because we are going to get hit by a very large asteroid at some point in Mm. the next, you know, Mm. 100 million years or so, statistically. And if we're looking to build a long-term civilization, I mean, really long-term, then you've either got to get populations on other planets. Well, you have to get populations on other planets because sooner or later the Earth is going to get hit. And this is a really important test to see whether we could deflect this stuff. I mean, I hated Armageddon. Armageddon is one of my all-time hated, most hated films. <laughs> but, you know, there is a serious issue behind this. Yeah. Incidentally, NASA uses Armageddon as part of, it, part of its interview training, and they ask people to look for scientific inaccuracies in the film. My understanding is the record at the moment is 168.
0: <laughs> you know <laughs>
1: But, That's uh, cool. So but, you're going to
0: be glued to this next in six days'
1: time. Uh, well, we're going to get images back, but because of the distances involved and the hardware involved, oh, of course. it's going to take weeks or months before we get the video back. That's going to be absolutely on tenterhooks. <laughs> He's not actually going to be glued to it. No, Carl, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, breathing might be a bit difficult, no. but, you know, compared to the standard United Airlines seat, then that would be, you know, somewhat
0: luxurious.
2: <laughs> Fantastic! So that's NASA's Dart mission. People can read up more about that in the show notes. Carol, what's your pick of the week?
0: I have a very unusual one this week. So I was in the Cotswolds recently. This is a lovely part of England near Oxford, and I was on a hike. And we were walking by a number of bus stops, as one does. And every single bus stop in the area had a defibrillator in the bus stop.
2: Really. Yeah. Is that because people would have a heart attack if a bus actually showed up in the (laughs) cotswolds?
0: Defibrillators save lives, right? The latest research showing that accessing these devices within three to five minutes of a cardiac arrest increases the chance of survival by 40%. That's pretty good odds. That's good. Three to five minutes, though, is pretty short, right? That ain't long. So say you or a loved one has a, gets into a cardiac pickle, wouldn't it be great that there was one nearby? So I started wondering, is there, where's my nearest defibrillator? Oh, yeah. Well, I have one about three minutes of walk away, but it's inside a store, not outside. So as long as someone has a cardiac event during business hours, this could be okay, Though perhaps they may restrict it to customers only like a parking spot. I'm oh, sorry. Oh. Have you, have, can I see proof of purchase? A bit like going to the loo, you yes. mean. Could you buy a coffee yes. first? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I looked around my neighborhood, didn't see any external defibrillators anywhere. That doesn't mean there isn't one, but I certainly couldn't find one. So then I thought there must be a service online, which there is. Mm. And it's called Circuit. In the UK. And this is like a map service where you can find out where the closest defibrillator is working right now, like available to you right now, because some are in stores, so they're only available during certain hours. Right. Now, the problem is that lots of people apparently have defibrillators, businesses and organizations and even individuals, but they're not registered. So if they're not registered in the UK on circuit, then there's no logging defibrillator information available on the, you know, in the system. So this is where I am now. I'm thinking, how do I get one for my local community? Right. So of course, um, any advice from listeners, greatly appreciated. Because I do have a lot of old, you know, neighbors around here, some of them in pretty poor health. And this could be a serious lifesaver. So apparently you can apply for a community public access defibrillator, which is what I think they have in the Cotswolds. It's called a CPAD. And this is is available to members of the public twenty four hours a day, hmm. and there's a fee, but it looks like you can get a pretty good discount through the British Heart Foundation charity. Prices for buying one of these things seems to range between like six hundred and fifteen hundred quid. No idea if the price difference means one saves you better than the other. No idea. Um, but I don't understand why there isn't one on every block in UK cities. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm
1: kind, I'm kind of, I, I'm on the fence about this because I'm probably the only person on the podcast who's qualified to use one of these things because I've had to do training on it for, I'm a member of the emergency response team here. Um, and they do take training to use. Having the defibrillator itself in, is not well, enough. Well, the
0: CPAD ones seem to be like they will—they can be wor- run by any individual, right? And they have like spoken instructions as they go through. Oh, the and they spoken can't. spoken
1: instructions. Okay, I hadn't heard about those.
0: And they can't—you know—they will detect the the anomaly before anything happens. So it's not like you can just go and charge ah. it and run it on anybody. They—they—they they, they are smart, almost like smart CPADs. <laughs> 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 so um I don't internet connected I have no, no idea works, I have no idea no um okay. but yeah so so there's like anyway I have to do more research on this um but it just seems to me this is a cost effective way and if we had one nearby um so I'm going to look into it and let you know how I get on and that's my yeah. for the week
2: defibrillators oh interesting so, Carole, you've been speaking to one of Bitwarden's
0: customers. This yes, week. I spoke with Sal Oregima from the University of Tulsa. Fascinating chat and guy. Take a listen. <laughs> Gorgeous, wonderful listeners of Smashing Security. We have the faculty director of the University of Tulsa's Masters of Cybersecurity degree program. What a title. Sal or Gemma. Welcome to the show, Sal.
3: I'm really glad to be here. Thanks, Carol. Could I say your last name properly? Help me. Not even close. a Gemma. Gemma.
0: Yeah. a Gemma. See? Now, we we should start with your background, Sal. So maybe we should introduce you to all our listeners. So how did you end up at the University of
3: Tulsa? Tell us about your background. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I didn't plan on getting there. Uh, (laughs) I joined the Navy right out of my undergraduate. I have an undergraduate degree in nuclear engineering. It's not a growth industry. So I graduated University of Florida, a nuclear engineering degree, went into the Navy as a submariner, Uh, spent about 10 years on active duty, and then I transferred over to the intel community. And then I was a reservist for another 10, 11 years. And as I left active duty to go into um, civilian life, I went and got my master's in information systems so I could transition in the IT field thinking, well, that's a job that's never going away. And I was right on that one prediction. Um, pretty much if you're in IT, you have a job until you die. Mm-hmm. Although it could be the reason you die. <laughs> <laughs> After I worked for about a decade in IT, and I did a lot of things, uh, system architecture, project management. Uh, ended up doing a lot of network and security related projects and items. Uh, I actually was deployed to Afghanistan for a year. I didn't love it so much. When I came back, I said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna do what I always wanted to do is go get my PhD. I did that at the University of Hawaii and graduated 2013. And then I went to the University of Tulsa, which is well known for their cybersecurity education. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really excited to join the faculty there. And that's where I've been since. And I just transitioned to... Uh, the faculty director for our online master's in cybersecurity program.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so now at the University of Tulsa, like, and you're working in cybersecurity. What are your main
3: focuses? I just love this inside look. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have faculty that cover the entire spectrum of cybersecurity research. I primarily focus on uh, behavioral information security. I really want to understand from the employee or the end user, like every, every you know, you and I what motivates us to actually take those security actions that we know we should, or what stops us from doing it when we know we should. Now, if if we don't know we should, that's, that's a different scenario. That's an education and awareness thing. But if we're getting that education awareness or reading it in the news, why aren't we taking the steps that, you know, should be universally understood as necessary to protect ourselves. And then we have other faculty in the program. Like I said, that uh, you, you, you know, everything from, Thus blockchain to uh, network security to cybersecurity economics. Uh, we, we've got a very diverse, excellent faculty at the University of Tulsa.
0: Okay, so human behavior. Tell me about human behavior and the disconnect that we might have with technology. Have you seen any of those in your research?
3: Well, sure. And, you know, what it comes down to is, is I can pretty much predict what a computer's going to do because I can tell it what to do. And then if it doesn't, I can reprogram it, right? Or if it really, really doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I throw it away and get a new one. Um, cannot do that with humans. That's illegal. <laughs> also, there's a whole lot more factors on the human perspective that, that aren't, you know, inputs, outputs and processing like you have for a computer. There's just a whole bunch of different variables that come from from different parts of that end user or employee's life that can impact their ability to, to follow through on security related actions. Right. I mean, you know, Probably the biggest thing we hear when we talk to folks about, hey, so we just trained you on this use of, let's say, a password manager, 2FA, or some other security tool. How come you didn't use it? And almost, I don't say almost universally, I'll say very high up on the scale, So right. well, I didn't have enough time to do it. And you go, well, are you sure you didn't have enough time to do it? They're like, oh, yeah, I didn't have enough time to do it. Well, you were at work, and they paid you to do it. And then when it's an end user, like, especially my students in my classes, I go, Hey, uh, why didn't you do it? Oh, I didn't have enough time. Oh, let's take time right now in class to do it. And when you take away that, that I'll call it an excuse of not enough time, then you start to get into, well, when I said not have enough time, what I meant was I really don't know how to do it, or I'm not confident in this technology that this is something I should spend my time doing. And now you're getting into different types of reasons other than I don't have enough time. Yeah. Um, now, that said, if your cybersecurity technology takes an awful lot of effort and time uh, for the end user to to bring into their life, well, that that's a big problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You've made it so hard, no one wants to adopt it. That's a you problem as a technology. Yeah, there's only so many hoops that we're all willing to go through. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's the younger generation. So we're talking like the college age students, stuff like that. When when I hear that they say, "Well, I don't have enough time," typically they have more of something what I call high threat apathy, and so what that means is they don't have the time to do something. They don't think it really is important to them. In other words, like, yeah, I've heard about the threats out there. Maybe even had some accounts compromised or heard bad things or other people. But whatevs, you know, I'm not going to do anything about them because it's just not really that pressing a matter. And those that do feel like something bad can happen to them you know that they're like well i'm too insignificant a target for cyber criminals to come after if i got hacked well what are they going to get my insta account my my email but but you know we we know that we know what to tell those people the problem is, is we have to understand that's part of the reason why they're not adopting this technology so we can formulate our messaging better right and if we If we ignore our demographic, if we just do the same old cybersecurity training we do at every organization I've ever been at, from the military and the government to my university, where we just go, here's your training, it's good enough for everybody, and we check the box, well, then we're never really going to make progress. I think we need to understand our target audience and then tailor the message to it. And it's not really that hard. I mean, we do if then statements in our programs all the time. Why can't we do that in our training? You
0: know, it's okay. This is fascinating because I'm a a huge password manager fan, have been for 10 years. And it's basically because I don't remember tons of passwords that are different from each other. I just don't have the skill. And I have a lot of uh, different accounts.
3: And you're not alone. Like Science has proven that we humans, except for that small percentage of savants out there, we can't create random passwords and we sure as heck can't remember them.
0: Right. And then, so you've got people like me saying, oh, make sure every password is unique on every account. And someone who is not using that kind of tech will be like, well, uh, how have you looked into that? What are your findings on that?
3: So there's, there's a couple of fields of psychology, you know, like there's negative biases that go into what people do based upon what they already know or what they think could possibly happen. Right. We discussed a few of those things. What we're focusing on lately is trying to build up more on the positive psychology side where we're trying to, to build up the skills and resilience of end users to say, hey, if there's a problem, do I know what to do about it? Am I optimistic right. that I can overcome this? Because if the answer is, if I sit down with someone who's a retired couple and, and they're like, you know, I just don't understand the computer well enough, this isn't going to work for me. Well, you know, maybe a password manager isn't the ideal thing for you, but maybe writing it down in a book is mm-hmm. if you have that book available to you but that's not the majority of people out there today right so really what we're trying to do is find out four different again def- different demographics and different user bases okay are you a a constant user of technology then we know password managers we are 100 certain password managers can work for you we just got to get past the the hurdles to get you to do it and part of that is showing how easy it is to use And then when there's a problem, do you have somewhere to go to? Do you have someone to talk to, to help you get through that problem? And that's, you know, that's part of the challenge too, right? I mean,
0: yeah, hundred percent.
3: Yeah. So, so it it sounds kind of wishy-washy, but I'll just say that first and foremost, if you don't understand the audience you're talking to, whether it's your employees and I'm not just saying, okay, these are the people in the accounting department I'm talking about of the people in the accounting department what are the individual factors? What is about those as individuals that is either going to help or hurt them in adopting these security technologies? Well, then you haven't done the proper work to understand what your messaging should be so that it will get through and then provide them the resources they need to succeed. And that's why I like tools like like Bitwarden, where, you know, hey, it's open source, but they have really great user manuals online. And then they have videos that kind of help people walk through it. And whether it's that or it's two-factor authentication, I'm a huge fan of, of, of a couple of different um, technologies. I don't know if I'm allowed to say them on the podcast, am I? <laughs> you say whatever you like, go for well, it. I love keys, right? I, I really do love keys because uh, it's once you get them set up, then they are easy to use. Now you have to get past the whole, well, especially with college students, I would actually give them out. They'll be like, well, if I don't have my keys, I'm like, well, when you're an adult, that problem will solve itself um, because you'll need to get in and out of things easier. Um, but, <laughs> you know, what's the password manager saying? We have it on our phones. Well, do they know that that's available to them? Do they know how seamless it works? So when you can show people how it works, but more importantly, don't just lie about the technology and say it solves all your problems. Show what problems it solves. Show what problems it maybe doesn't solve completely, but it's better than it was before. And then I always at the end come back to, Well, if you're not going to use something like a password manager to deal with all of these hundreds of accounts you have, what else are you going to do? Because the bad guys will easily figure out if you reuse a password or if you use some awful, you know, pattern based upon, you know. Be careful. Ten years ago, I used a pattern. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. I did too. So here's a real life story. When I was in the, I was working for a department of defense. It's a long time ago. I'm sure it's my fixed. I had hundreds of systems that fell under me as a supervisor and my technicians, right? So, and we're talking about systems on different classification levels. And then the DOD kept coming out with more and more ridiculous password change rules. Like mm. first it was 90 days, then it got all the way down to 45 days and then 24 characters can't change. Yes. Right? <laughs> so what are you doing? You're creating <laughs> a pattern and you're going to it's computer number two and adding a two to the end, right? And then you go down, right? I did. Um, Mine, yeah, was, well,
0: mine was, mine I live on Blah Blah Street, right? So it would be like, <laughs> I live on Google Street. And then it was, I live on Google One Street. I live yeah. on Google Two Street. Literally, like, and I was a security professional. Well,
3: yeah, and that gets to another thing. That gets to another point. You're a security professional. This thing that kind of like security overload, mm-hmm. we've understood it's been a problem for a while for those of us in security. But now I'm starting to see like, 18, 19 year olds or 60 year olds telling me that, you know, they're just getting security overload. And I'm like, wow. So there's so many things they have to be concerned at when they go online uh, that, you know, they just get overwhelmed and you get to the point where you're like, well, is it even worth doing anything if the bad guys have so many ways to get me right? And, you know, I look at it like this, there's only a few things that you or I as individuals can do to protect our data and access to our data. Everything else is up to the service provider, right? Like like LinkedIn, if LinkedIn gets um, hacked and all the passwords get stolen, like in 2013, there was nothing we could have done about that. But what can we do about it? Well, we make sure we have unique passwords, that they're strong, we're not reusing them, things like that. And we can't do that without a tool to help us, right? Um, so use a password manager or at least have a very good password management Mechanism so that you do all the things a password manager does, but I can't imagine living without it now. I mean, all the services on my phone and in, in my computer—there's just no way. I know five passwords in my memory most days, mm-hmm. but I have like six hundred accounts in my password manager. How old are you, so I'm and twelve years old. Oh, but <laughs> you know, of those six hundred accounts, let's be honest, four hundred of them I had to sign up to get a discount, right? But still. You know, there's still dozens, if not a hundred, accounts I might use a year. And you know, if my password is uh, "I love smashing security one bang, bang three bang," you know, after a while, the attackers <laughs> only need a couple of those accounts to figure out my pattern, right? Is there anything you want to add before we close off? Well, uh, here's what I'll say: uh, like, if you are not using a password manager, if you're are not are not using two factor authentication, if you are not patching your your systems. Those are the three things that you can do to protect yourself. I say, number one, the number one thing is that of all the things we've talked about, there's only one security tool that ever pays you back in the long run. And that's a password manager. Because while it is effort to set up, I have saved, I'm, I'm going to say thousands of hours in the last 12 to 15 years using a password manager, because I didn't have to remember things. I didn't have to figure out a password. And more importantly, it logged my stuff in immediately. So there is no other security tool out there that saves you time as an individual, like a password manager. So please look into it. And I do recommend Bitwarden.
0: Yes, so do I. So if you want to learn more about password managers and how to secure your private information, and I agree with Sal 100 percent, like once it's set up, it's gold. Okay, visit bitwarden.com slash smashing. That's bitwarden.com slash smashing. And Sal Oregema, did I do well there? <laughs> Great job. Thank you. Faculty Director of the University of Tulsa's Master's of Cybersecurity degree program. I wish I could make that tighter.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a total pleasure to speak with you. Well, after the hundreds of shows I've listened to in the past, I'm super excited to have been part of your show.
0: Oh, what an answer. Thanks, so.
2: <laughs> Great stuff. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Ian, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do oh, that? Oh, I'm,
1: I'm I'm old school, I'm afraid. So I'm Twitter, uh, at Ian Thompson Twitter. And it's a really odd spelling because my parents are bastards, but we've had words about this. <laughs> So it's I-A-I-N and then Thompson without a P. Um, and believe me, the jokes that were made at school about Thompson without a P is a weird, really quite savage. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter at Smashinsecurity. no G. Twitter allows to have a G. And we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget, to ensure you never miss another episode, I recommend following Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.
0: And huge, huge thank you to this episode's sponsors. This is Collide, Pantera, and Bitwarden. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all. This show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 289 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com.
2: Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Ian, it was so great having you on. uh, Great, I have enjoyed it.
1: I mean, it's it's been years since I've seen you. I mean,
0: I think decades.
1: Actually, (laughs) God, yes, it is. Yeah, it is over a decade. Fuck, we're (laughs) old,
0: right? Speak for yourself.
1: (laughs)